The New Testament reading is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us all. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Morning, folks. If you've got a Bible, it'd be great if you could look back up or perhaps look for the first time at Romans 8. If we haven't met, let me introduce myself. My name's Ken and I'm the minister here at St. Joseph's. And in my younger days, I was part of a church in Glasgow in a really rough area. And it was brilliant because it attracted all kinds of different people from all kinds of different walks of life. But it was also quite unpredictable and even at points a bit scary. I can remember this one time we were doing our summer holiday club, which we called the Big Buzz for young kids. And myself and my co-leader were, were walking somewhere, I can't even remember where, with a few kids. And she had one of them perched on her shoulders when all of a sudden we made the wrong turn. Not wrong as in we went the wrong way, but wrong as in it was the wrong street. Sure enough, as we entered this street, there were the local Rajis. And they'd seen us. And so they pulled themselves up and started to swagger towards us in only the, the way that those who are looking for trouble and confident of coming out on top of said trouble can pull off. But at this point, suddenly from on top of my co-leader's shoulders, this voice pipes up. Who are you looking at? Do you want some? Come on and get some if you think you're hard enough. I mean, this week, like, it was probably only about five or six. He would have only come up to the, the, these guys' waists. And yet here he was, bold as brass, challenging them to do their worst as if nothing in all the world could hurt him or us. And in this case, he would have been right. <laughs> because as soon as they looked up at this pipsqueak, they parted like the Red Sea. Uh, mumbled a few apologies and let us pass. Why? Because these guys knew who his dad was. And if you had known who his dad was, you would not have messed with him either. 
He was untouchable because his dad was untouchable. And folks, as we come to the end of this series in Romans, uh, chapter 8 this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul's defiant tone is a wee bit like that little lad's. Last week, we looked at verses 28 to 30, in which Paul gives us the basis of Christian assurance. Uh, this week, he just literally revels in it. He, he's like, if verse 28 is true, and, and by the way, it really is, that for those who love God, all things work together for your good. And if the golden chain of God's salvation promise in verses 29 and 30 that lead to your glorification is unbreakable, and and again, it is, it really is. If all that is true, then nothing in all the world can really harm us. Not really, not ultimately. We're untouchable because of who our dad is. Not some Glaswegian gangster, but our loving Heavenly Father. Now, you, know, you might wonder, uh, how can he say that? Uh, God loves us, really? Uh, in all things? Even these things we're going through at the moment, he works for good? I mean, how can he even think of saying something like verse 37? N- knowing all these things, in the midst of the troubles and difficulties of life, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How on earth does he get there? And how do we too in this crazy year of 2020, as we feel that in so many ways we are not overwhelmingly conquering, but we're losing at every turn? Well, here's how. Listen to the logic of Paul's questions here, and you will see that if you're a Christian, you are more than a conqueror. Firstly, because... God is for you. See that there in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're a Christian watching this morning, who could be against you? Answer? Well, actually, quite a lot of people. The unbelieving world finds Christianity offensive. So it says that it's not only against God, but against his people. So sometimes there's outright hostility there, isn't there? But most of the time, for most of us, what we experience is passive or patronizing indifference. The world is against us. We know it. And then there's ourselves. Our own sinful nature is set against God too. We saw that earlier on in the chapter in Romans 8. We're our own worst enemies as sin gnaws away at us uh, and fights against the leadership of God's spirit that he's put within us. And what about the devil? Satan has a file on us. He is determined to destroy and distract us. Uh, And we, we feel his attacks and his accusations. Who's against us? Lots of different people. Which is why there are so many situations in which we struggle to have confidence in God. But you hear what Paul says here? He says, if God is for us, who could possibly stand against us? Do you see what he's asking? He's he's asking this question. He's, He's saying, even if the whole world was stacked up against you, Is it stronger than God? 
So take that situation where you feel totally outnumbered, where you feel as a Christian like you are losing. And this is what you've got to do. You've got to compare the two sides. On the one hand, what you are afraid of, what you fear. And on the other, the God who is for us. And then you've got to to ask, which is bigger? Which is stronger? And as you do that, uh, please know that in the Bible, God is constantly reminding us that he is your father, your husband, your shepherd, your king, your creator, your lover, your refuge, your rock, your strength. Now, what are you afraid of? It is like a ladybird compared to a lion, compared to the one who is for us. Remember early on in my time in secondary school pitching up to play cricket against uh, another uh, school and the opposition captain was six feet tall we were only 12 and yet there he was towering over us and he bowled like a whirlwind so fast that we couldn't get out of the way quick enough he took all 10 wickets as we were bowled out for nine runs that's not nine runs each that's that's nine for the whole team total And then he came in and opened the batting. And with a few lusty blows, he knocked off the runs all by himself. He could have beaten us all by himself. In the world of under-13s cricket, if you had this guy on your side, then you were a surefire winner. And folks, you see here in Romans 8, Paul is saying, see the God who is for you. If you see that he is on your team, then you will know that you are more than a conqueror. So you might be the only Christian in your family or workplace or class at school and and the odds don't look good there. You are totally outnumbered. But can I just say, if you are the only Christian in a certain situation, you are still on an incredibly strong team. The strongest team, in fact. Because it's God plus you. If you've got God on your side, then you are a surefire winner. But how do you know that God is with you in those situations, that he is indeed for you and won't just abandon you and leave you looking like a fool? Well, listen to Paul's next question and see that, secondly, God has given you his son. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you ever get FOMO, folks? You know, fear of missing out. I think we have a kind of Christian version of it. Uh, we fear that through our Christian commitment, if we really go for it and we try to live out what the Bible says, then actually we will miss out on some of the good things that God has to, uh, that, that, that life has to offer us in terms of relationships and career or experiences or possessions. Because the world tells us that if we follow God wholeheartedly, uh, then he will rob us of these things. But once again, Paul challenges us here. He says, he says, really? How can you say that or even think it if you see what God has already given you? He has given you his son. 
What do you think is the most valuable thing in all the universe to God? It is his son, Jesus. And yet, even though we deserve to suffer as one of God's enemies, in order to rescue us from our sin, he did not even spare his own son, but he sent him to the cross to die for us. If you're a parent, would you do that for someone? Even someone you loved? I don't think I would give my one and only son for anyone. But God did. And if he loved me that much, then surely I can trust him for everything else. He's like a husband who gives his wife a £50,000 present, maybe a beautiful diamond necklace. Do you think he's going to wrap that up in uh, used hankies? If he's going to buy the £50,000 necklace, if he doesn't even spare his own son, then surely he will give us the wrapping paper too. He will give us everything. He will give us all that we need. And so the question becomes, as we look down at verse 32, what are these all things? Are they what the prosperity preacher might offer us? Are they what the adverts tell us that, that we must have? Are they all the trappings of a comfortable middle-class existence? No, no, the all things are the all things of verses 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So that we might be conformed to the image of his son. God will give you everything that you need in order to make you more like Jesus. Because that is the aim of his purposes for you. And for me too. So Jim Packer, the great theologian, recently, sadly deceased, writes this of the all things. One day we shall see that nothing, literally nothing, which could have increased our eternal happiness has been denied us. And that nothing, literally nothing that could have reduced that happiness has been left with us. That is what God is doing. He's making us like Jesus and he will not deny us anything that will help us in that. So let's not be half-baked and nervous Christians holding back in service and giving and witness and involvement. No. How could we possibly not trust God for everything? How could we hold back and, and not just dive in if he didn't even spare his own son? God is for you. He's given you his son. But please see also that thirdly, Jesus is working for us now. Do you see that in verse 33? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. I don't know if you've heard the story of Greyfriars Bobby. Bobby was this little dog who lived in Edinburgh with his, uh, his, his master, John. But when John died for 14 years 
until Bobby died himself. He would go and sit every day on his master's grave, guarding it. Now, that's a lovely story, um, which is why Bobby now has a statue of him, little dog, near his master's grave. There's also something tragic about it too, because the one who fed Bobby is gone. The one who cared for Bobby is gone. The one who loved Bobby is no more. And folks, the Christian faith is not to be expressed like that in loyally lying on top of the tomb of a dead master, hopelessly pinning, uh, pining for and defending him. No, he is alive. Which means what? He can continue loving us, continue feeding us, continue caring for us. You see, Paul is reminding us here that Jesus not only died, but he rose so the Christian can plant their foot firmly on the solid ground of the empty tomb and with a reason faith that say that Jesus lives now to protect me and defend me and love me. And he does that not only because he rose, but because he ascended. To where? Verse 34, at the right hand of the Father, seated at the place of power. And what's he doing there? He is interceding for us. Have you ever stopped to wonder what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for the security of his people. There is an intimacy and a constancy in the preoccupation of Jesus for his people. He is still working for us now. Jesus sits beside God the Father and whenever an accus any accusation comes in against us, it is immediately overruled by Jesus. He says, no, Dad, I've paid for his sins. I've paid for her sins. I mean, Father, look at the scars on my hands. I paid for them in full. So they may not, they must not be made to pay again because they've put their trust in me. Nobody can undo what Jesus has done on the cross. So we are fully and finally free from all guilt and all accusation because of the cross, yes, but also because Jesus is still working for us, protecting our salvation in order to bring us safely home with him. And I hope you will see in that, fourthly and finally, that God will never stop loving you. Here Paul reaches his crescendo as he gives us a final defiant challenge in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? What problem or power could ever separate us from God's love in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? See what Paul is saying here? He's saying, Christian, do you really think that the trouble you experience, maybe in your marriage or your family, or the hardship you've been through, perhaps loneliness in lockdown, 
or the persecution you have suffered from colleagues at work or relatives or the famine perhaps of clients that you fear you will lose through the course of this pandemic in your business or the danger that we all face of catching COVID-19 or the sword of state persecution that we may one day have to face. Do you think that experiencing any of those things will ever mean that God does not love you? We've already seen here in Romans 8 that he allows those things to happen to us to make us more like Jesus precisely because he does love us and wants the best for us, not because he doesn't love us. And so Paul goes on in verse 36 to quote from Psalm 44, reminding us that in many places and many eras down through history, believers have been in danger of death, even death for their faith. Like many brothers and sisters actually today in North Korea or the Yemen or Eritrea, they have been lined up like sheep to the slaughter. But do you think any of that means that God is an irresponsible father, a neglectful dad, and has stopped loving his children? Paul's answer in verse 37. No, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For his kids, death is is simply the quickest way to glory to being with him forever and there is no situation therefore in all of life or in death that will amputate us from his love and so we can declare with Paul in verse 38 for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation which after all is all of God's domain will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord I don't know how this works for you this morning you may be in the midst of terrible suffering and feel that God is not for you and that he has abandoned you. He stopped loving you. And you may be very close to giving up. You're looking at all the different escape routes that you've got to run from him. But please know that if you're a child of God, if you've put your trust in Jesus, nothing will ever stop God from loving you. However weak your faith may be, however faltering your love for him may be, However many times you may fall and trip over and fail him. However terribly, God is allowing you to suffer in order to teach you and shape you and make you more like Jesus. Nothing, no nothing, can separate you from his love. God always loves you. He always has and he always will. And in the end, how do you know that God loves you? Just look at his hands. Look at his hands. Let me pray for us as I close. 
Let me lead us in a prayer. Oh, now, in all these things, Romans 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Oh, Father God, we tell you we are assailed by guilt. We do feel fear and insecurity. We know suffering. So, Father, God, please help us. Please enable us to trust you in the midst of that. You did not spare your own son. So help us to trust you, therefore, to give us all things that we need and to make us more like him. And ultimately, to take, you, take us home to be with you forever in glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.